Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. I'm here with Jessie Stevenson, who I last spoke to in September of 2021 before her sold-out show at Sapling Gallery. Uh, Jessie's just completing her final term at the Slade and getting ready for the grad show, and I'm thrilled that you're here on A Private View. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What has happened in the past eight months? Because at the time... Uh, you were you were isolating in Norfolk, and and it was actually going really well for you. You sort of had inspiration from from nature, and had a great sort of working schedule and studio time. And then you were back into London, mm. and dealing with the excitement of being in London, and also working at the Slade. So that's got to have affected your work in some way. Yes, I think it's um, been hugely influential to be back, particularly at art school the pandemic did have a huge impact on me you're right um and particularly my work i had uh the time but also this inspiration literally on my doorstep um and that ability to be walking in the landscape in some ways has continued um, as I returned to the city and I'm now walking in the streets to and fro the Slade studio and before I'd be picking up on imagery of the from nature natural phenomena for instance clouds rhododendrons and Scots pine trees but now I'm kind of picking up on human marks so for instance graffiti tags gum stuck to the floor and these again I'm collecting on my iPhone within these folders and I guess that's interesting because I then look back on the time that I had in Norfolk and I took photographs of these scribbles on the church door from my village and this was a mark an historical mark made by the sailors and I guess the symbolism is different with the graffiti that I'm seeing today on the one hand that's seen as vandalism and then this is seen as a celebrated jot and so then how does this translate into my own mark making and how has that developed being back in the city where I think there is this urgency in the marks that I'm producing on the surface of the paint in a way that I think there is a deeper desire to be back in nature uh, and I guess it becomes more of a emotional response. Did you find it difficult to... to uh transition from sort of isolation to the stimulation of the city and, and focus on your work or did it just all happen uh, kind of normally I mean you must have wanted to go out I think it would that in both both ways I think I on the one hand I returned and it, it was overwhelming to an extent particularly having these shows with with sapling and but spachargi and having this sudden interest when you've been a hermit for the last like two years under a rock and in Norfolk. Um, but then uh, on the other hand, similar to what sort of, I guess, Wordsworth, who's another huge inspiration for me, he wrote this poem called Stargazers. And that's where I picked up on this string of, sen- uh, string of words called Not of This Noisy World. And that became a huge influence on my stop motion which I made um, in response to the pump house gallery and I had it projected on the facade and I enjoyed the fact that 
here was Wordsworth who took on not of this noisy world. And if you cross out not of this, it becomes noisy world. And this was something that I kept saying as I was walking the streets of London. And it just came up from within me. And I think similarly, my work actually in some ways is both. It's not of this noisy world. And you see that in the sort of blissful colour hues that I want to create um, in, in my in my paintings. But then also there is this kind of pandemonium of noise that exists in, in, in the work. It's funny, there's a few painters at the moment that I see as your contemporaries, Flora Yukovic, Antonia Showering. And what you just described is this place between historical paintings and contemporary paintings it seems to be what connects in my eyes, there's this search for a timelessness, and that timelessness is painting, I think. Definitely. And I think when particularly living and working in Norfolk, I w was responding to light. And having spent nearly two years there, I was able to experience the change of light through the seasons. And obviously that changes colour and how that then is synonymous with my own colour palettes and so I've realised that returning to the cities I think my colour does respond to these seasonal changes and you need to look at uh, Turner and that was someone who um, again was a huge inspiration for me in the romantic movement and he uses light and dark in such a playful way in his work but then not only does he create these um, techniques but also uses sketchbooks as a way to um, explore these painterly ideals. When we talked in September, we talked about who you are, where you grew up, wh what your family was like, how creative it is, who your influences were. Have your influences changed in the months in between? You're around a lot of stimulation at the moment. You're being talked about a lot by the art world. That's a lot of pressure on someone who's still in school, knowing that people are looking at your work and wanting to sign you on after you graduate. And, and also knowing that the hardest thing for a gallery to get at the moment is work. Nobody can get artwork. That's how much the collector base has grown. Yes, and I think that's why I really enjoyed going back to the Slade as a sort of entry point to the city and then into the art world. I think the Slade, because it's a school, it means that actually I'm still learning. and I'm still surrounded by incredible tutors and other students that, yes, I gather inspiration from. Um, so for instance, Jo Volley has been a huge mentor for me. Uh, she, every year she puts on the Colour and Poetry Symposium where she invites academics, artists, writers from all over the world to put forward their talk on, on the subject. And again, to have that time to reflect and then respond to these conversations has been really impactful. Um, and I think that that's definitely um, pushed my, my work forward this, this last year away from the racket outside. Is there a sense that maybe you're also protecting yourself by staying in school a little longer yes I think I mean I was I had this time of interruption which in some ways was unforeseen and yes it was a sort of complex paradox of then moving back into the countryside uh, and as I say that had a huge impact on my work and still does and I guess now being at the Slade 
not only then is it this this time of uh, reflection, refining, and then development, but it's also to, as I said before, to keep learning, and that's that's kind of how I feel. It's like I'm. It's not really protecting myself, but it's more just keeping focused and actually keep enjoying what I'm doing. And so, being at the Slade, you have these facilities alongside the tutors, and I was able to then use uh, Dragon Software to then create this stop motion. Um, and that really propelled my drawings. I was doing a lot of ink drawings during the pandemic and I have this folder full of them and I sat on them. And I was like, what do I do with them? And then suddenly I had this thought about um, movement, which is so part of my work. It's, it's this dynamic uh, lines and curves in, in, in the sense of the language that I'm putting down. And I thought, how can I then translate this into moving image, which as you might remember, informed my practice whilst at, studying at St. Martin's. And it was a wonderful kind of uh, marriage then of these ink drawings that I was doing under the camera with the light stands, with then the software, and then I was able to edit it afterwards. But then suddenly it took on a whole new life once it was projected onto the facade of the pump house it became this site-specific sculpture almost and that was something that I, I didn't predict and suddenly as a viewer you became part of this performance we were all waiting for the sun to go down and so suddenly light and time became important roles as part of this act. I'm really glad that that opened up because I was going to say are you experimenting with new media and is painting still relevant and you are actually pushing the boundaries of what painting is uh, and and I wonder why you would take on something so traditional like painting I think paint it's still as we know today like it you're still it it resonates with us and I think it's interesting because as you said before there are these historical canons that I guess we do keep going back to but in a way paint then can inform those other disciplines like the ink drawings that I was doing. Those ink drawings came about from looking um, at Constable and he would produce all these brown ink drawings and so suddenly they have quite an old master like quality to them but all of those are sort of prerequisites to then the colourful paintings that I produce and I feel in a way it's kind of like a body you have the bones which are similar to let's say the ink drawings but then you've got the flesh of the oil paint itself um, and in a way I don't actually see them as sort of binary in terms of ink drawings paintings stop motion they can all coexist and that's the beauty I guess of making today is that there are these hybrids. Part of what we talked about last time too was the studio practice and craft and theories and, and what was integral to your practice and how it's evolved but I get the message now that it's going to keep evolving. What are, what are you thinking of? Things like Team Lab at where Pace Gallery was or? I feel I'm only 28 um, and I think in a way my process, it happens organically, and I think we can see that from what happened with the pandemic and how that influenced my work. And nature will always be there, particularly thinking about my own personal sublime and tapping into this idea of place. And Stop right there. What is your own personal sublime? Well, that's exactly maybe what I've been uncovering the last three years, probably. Um, and as I say, like I think Norfolk, I was able to tap into 
a part of myself that I didn't realize existed. Um, but thinking about how the landscape there relates to my upbringing, moving from Guangzhou, Moscow, and particularly thinking about these na- the natural phenomena. So, for instance, Scott's pine trees. My grandmother, she was part of our support bu- bubble. And uh, she told me the story about the orange- origins of Scott's pine in Norfolk. So landowners from the Norfolk region would trade cotton with um, Ming porcelain from China. And the porcelain was carried in these chests made of Scott's pine trees and they would um arrive onto uh the these these estates and then they would chop down the chess to make uh wood chips and through this process lots of seeds then would germinate the land and we now have these clusters of pine tree woodlands um, and I found that fascinating, both in terms of, I guess, the authenticity of the story itself, myth over reality. And in, to some extent, there is a line of truth in all storytelling. Um, but also it reminded me of, of my own time living in, in Moscow and living in this neighbourhood. We lived in this stature surrounded by Scots pine trees. When your show came out uh, way out east at Sapling Gallery, th- there was a dialogue around your work being about escapism. Mm. Is it escapism? In some ways. I think at that point I was particularly influenced by um, obviously the landscape and I I guess this desire um, to find that place. Um, And I think with with Norfolk it definitely brought up a sense of memory. Um, and so with that, I guess there is this sort of fantasy of the ordinary and, and with that comes escapism. I was also influenced by Bridgerton, um, which became Netflix's top uh, programme at the time. And that was sheer escapism for many viewers during the lockdowns um, and just the you know exquisite colour combinations, the sets, the costumes, everything about that programme was just a treat for the eye. The work that I saw of yours definitely had greens. It was landscape in nature. Um, I'm trying to figure out why. And you sort of said it because of where you grew up. But would you ever take on urban colors? Would you change your palette? I think um, I. you're right to bring up, you know, the, the color. And I guess this quite refined color palette, that's something that I have experimented and challenged over the last two years. So it started off quite earthy. And again, I was influenced by the romantics like Delacroix, Turner, particularly with his optical greens and yellows. But then I had this opportunity to do residency with Collart. And at that point, I was testing out new colour pigments, particularly contemporary ones like Pathalo Green. And so suddenly you get more of this pop. And as I said, as I say, also fashion and sort of pop culture has become an influence for me. Um, and the likes of sort of Tim Walker, brilliant fashion photographer and his play of of colour, it just, I guess, resonates this idea of escapism. It becomes something that's attractive and it kind of seduces the viewer into something else. Transcendence, escapism, the sublime. I mean, the Tim Walker show at the Royal Academy was amazing. Not the Royal Academy, the Victoria and Albert. That was, And it was escapism. 
Maybe that's what the human experience is about, <laughs> imagining different worlds. I'm not sure. Sometimes I wonder uh, if it's always this idea of imagining what the afterlife is like. If artists are always trying to imagine the beauty that's beyond the everyday life. I think there is a sort of yeah duality that exists in, in painting. And it's interesting that you say, why do you go back to painting? And I think in a way it's because as a discourse, it, it goes back so far and you have these old master painters who've been trying to describe something other than what we see in our everyday. Uh, and I guess also thinking about then how this relates to the, the present and particularly then when you're making work for me and and that time with with the work at the moment it feels much more physical it becomes this sort of happening and with that then I hope that viewers can feel their own uh, sense of self in, in the work particularly through the mark making on the surface but also in the layers beneath. I'm going to take a little bit of a departure from the normal questions and way of doing things because I think it's something quite unique to you. You have the experience of being an artist in an art school but you've also really dealt with the business of art and with galleries. What are you looking for in a gallery and how do you know when the right time is to hand your work over? I think you have to be focused. You have to really think about what ideas you want to put forward into the world and how you're going to do that and that comes first and that really is sort of integrity and I think as an artist that's something that I really want to hold on to. For me it is about experimenting and with that then it's pushing these ideas of escapism, of personal sublime, of nature, what does that do today in an urban environment, how do we look at poetry from the past but also then maybe the present and I think with all of that, it's sort of channeling then creativity. So that comes first. And then, yeah, it's second. It's sort of a bonus then if there are other people on the other side who then do want to showcase that and drive forward those notions. And I've just been lucky that I've been at this point working with two excellent gallerists, both Bert Spatichargi and Sapling, and they've really believed in my discourse. And I really believe in theirs as well. And with that, it becomes this happy partnership. Um, so, for instance, Bernstein Bhattacharji, they wanted to show my paintings. At that time, I was also doing the stop motion. And Lavisa turned to me and said, well, Jesse, why don't we put up your moving image onto this building? And I was like, yes, please. Um, and so suddenly it's like... The gallerists are actually supporting my development and it's it's not just about the interest in terms of the market. It becomes much more about what it is the artist is doing and how they're going to move forward. And for me, and again, it goes back to your question of like, why are you still painting? And I think particularly being back at Slade on the painting programme, it was a question that I had uh, during during my time. Why do I always put myself amongst painters when actually I enjoy sculpture I enjoy stop motion but for me as I said before it's it's not one or the other they all influence each other and I guess at this point I don't want to become stagnant I really believe in my painting I love it 
same time, I really want to push myself and my ideas using other disciplines. And I can see you do it. I think that's why your work stands out. I've, you, we've all seen paintings and you're like, well, why are you doing that? Like, wh- how is it relevant? And when I see yours or Antonio's or Flora's work, it seems relevant. And I, it's, uh, it's about trying to find the words to articulate that. The other reason I know it's relevant is because no one can get any of your work anywhere. <laughs> all of it's gone like that. And that's, that's I mean, there's no better sign than that, than knowing that your work is in demand. However, I guess that's the fine balance where you wonder if artists who are very young, if they're popular too soon, if they like being liked. Yes, I think, of course. I mean, I think it's it's human nature, right? You know, everyone wants to be adored in some way or another, whether, yeah, that's in your profession, whether that's in love, whether that's um, in other relationships. Um, That's kind of what, in a way yeah makes us a a community of some sort i think with the direction that i'm going in terms of my my professional side i actually just try and put that on the shelf as i said before what comes first is my work and what that's doing for me and i hope then that i have the right partnerships around me that will guide me in the right direction and as much as i will be taking my own opinion um and and as i say like that's why this laid has been an incredible year of learning incredible because i've been with tutors i've been with fellow artists some of whom are in a similar position that i can chat to having a coffee i can have a conversation with my tutor holly hendry who's poured great advice uh just had a show at stephen friedman as well yeah exactly um and you know, I think I, I just, as I say, just go back to, I guess, just this, the simple truth, which is enjoying it. And and once you start to overthink these different sectors of life, whether that's the art world, whether that's art school, whether that's about the wider international world, it suddenly you sort of forget what it is that you're doing. And and really, these are just different systems, part of a large, larger ecosystem. And you're a tiny, tiny fragment in that. And as much as you're saying, you know, I'm a sweet darling, you know, and yeah, and it wasn't success. disparaging. I'm no, not no, being no. disparaging no, at all. Not. It's just really a hard position to be in. But it, it with the number of galleries looking for new artists, it it is could, could be a hard. It, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's exactly the, the point. It's like it could be. And it's, it's how you respond to that. I think I, if I were, if I am interpreting what you're saying, and I'll I'll say it back to you the way I I heard it. If I was saying it in a sentence, you want to be around people you like, and you want it to be fun. And if it's not fun, you're not doing it. Exactly. Um. And you know, not only that, it's also people who come with integrity and want to push forward a narrative. So you're intuitive and instinctive as well that's part of it yes and i think you have to be because as you say you know there are fine a lot of artists but there are a lot of galleries um and you know it's 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 the right relationship it's and and some will will work with you and some may not and again like that's the same in in life uh and as i say it's sort of just not seeing it as pressure but just seeing it as part of the parcel seeing it just part of the process and at this stage, I've 
I, I'm still at art school. I, I've got one month left and I'm loving it. I've been loving being in the studio and I'm, I'm loving surprised. working, you know, towards the degree show. And, and that is my priority. And this lady has been so leader of the art schools for, for about the past 10 years now, hasn't it? Yes. The most interesting grad students anywhere. Um, do they talk about the art market in art school these days? They didn't really when I was in art school. No. No, they don't. <laughs> Which is good. I don't think it should be. Mm. I, you know, I think there is a, there is a sort of a time and a place, and I think there are other people who are perhaps more equipped to have those conversations with than, let's say, tutors who are there to tell you about ideas, about history, about material handling of paints. So and let's I be think, honest, the tutors are artists. Exactly. Um, and but then I say that and actually I have had some um, insightful conversations with some of the tutors who have been really helpful. Have you seen the art world change in the last oh, 10 years? Oh my god, more than you could ever imagine. I've been in meetings where people have said the artists don't matter and whether or not they could make profit from female artists. I mean, I, things that I didn't know about and it, it. I guess that's why I worry about the artists. I I want them to get back to the position where they're the stronger voice in the market and we do realize that they're not an asset class for trading. Um, that's fine too, but it's a different kind of art. And I think that the art world is, is now in two or three different lanes and you're, I know which one you're in. Uh, you're the one you're in the one about thoughts and ideas and pushing culture forward and it shows it's just knowing how to read that and i think you have to be experienced to know how to read it so my worry is often for new collectors entering the market thinking they want to well i said it that's exactly the thing they're not entering a market they're looking at art as soon as they say they're entering the market i know where they're going but if they're looking at art, they'll start to develop their own eye. So I think it's trusting in the process and staying focused, even from this end of things. I'm sure it was. I'm sure everything I'm saying was going on in Lord Dervine's time, but now you know about it because everything is Googleable. All the auction results are showing. You can get information anywhere, and it, there's no denying that part of the art world was about money. And I think that's why I've really enjoyed these different times of solace, whether that's in Norfolk or whether that's at the Slade. And you do just need to sort of shut away and almost avoid that, that conversation and then come out of your cocoon and to an extent enjoy it but so many artists I mean Peter Doig he's the same he'll work extremely hard for months in the Caribbean and then he'll come into London for his exhibition and then he'll go away and I think it is this movement between places spaces people and that's been happening throughout art history of, with with artists and actually in some ways maybe the pressure has always been there de Kooning amongst Peggy Guggenheim, New York, and suddenly the Abstract Expressionists and being in these group shows with Pollock. I mean, you know, you, there is so much hysteria that's sort of attached to these names, but all those artists, they kept going and they kept developing. 
And the, and the whole idea about money in the art world goes back decades as well. There's the thing about Robert Rauschenberg talking to, was it Robert Skull who had the fleet of cabs? And he auctioned Rauschenberg's work and I think he paid something like, well, some small amount for it and auctioned it for a hundred times more. And there was a fight at the time because Rauschenberg didn't get the profit. And the collector was trying to say, no, no, you'll get the profit now because I've just established. So these conversations have been going on Definitely. forever. Uh, and and they're what's waiting on the other side of art school. And I guess <laughs> it's interesting as well, thinking about that era, obviously, with Rothko. And in, and essentially, it ruined him. It did. And and I think, you know, that's something, again, as a, as a creative one has to realise is, is too much of that can be bad like anything in life right um but i think it 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 actually just reminded me of what uh i, I read about wordsworth he wrote the lyrical ballads on the back of coming coming from the french revolution where he was this sort of socialist and he went against the, the establishment ideals but he returned feeling really uh traumatized he left his lover and child behind and he wrote them the lyrical ballads alongside samuel coleridge and within the the poetry, he puts forward this question: "What is a poet?" And incidentally, I was asking these questions these last this last year. Where does my authority come from? To what extent does literature, specifically Wordsworth poetry, influence my own abstraction in my work? And I think it's really important to ask those questions as you're moving through these different phases because then you can look back and see your answer and have that almost printed on your heart and mind as you guide yourself through these pathways of uncertainty. It's funny because you, when you find a couple of them, like whether it's paradox or duality or where is my authority, there's some that so many things change as you're growing up, but there's a couple of things that never do. And they are what almost determine the thesis of the work throughout. You mentioned Peter Doig. He may move around and live in lots of different countries, but his work is still very recognizable. And there's something in that. That means there's fundamental values and, and truths that just don't change. And, and, um, and you can't shake that off. I don't think you should shake that off. But you can't, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, what's fascinating that there's this painting that it, that I just keep doing and it just comes out and I don't know why and it's not that I mean to do it and it either will become a sketchbook study or be a paper study or sometimes it'll go into then a larger scale and it, it's just interesting this sort of repetition but then also this transition in the paint and I, I feel once it's in you it's like it's like a bug and uh, what is the what is the painting that keeps coming up. Uh, well, it's it's in terms of like well, it's the wondrous strains, and it's it's had uh, yeah a few uh, issues, I guess, like it's different um, developments. But it's essentially this red color palette, and um, it's it's either like some underworld or a woodland or pathway carving through the landscape. But it's it really comes to the surface and if you look I've done the, I've done this painting now three four times and I'm looking forward to one day gathering them all together and seeing them in one go and obviously like each time I'm doing it that something has changed and that's 
very important for me with my paintings. There has to be an element of surprise. Um, I have to push myself and feel that I can walk through that studio door and say, wow, I didn't realise that that was going to come out. Um, as much then as knowing my my ideals. What's coming up for you in the next few months? So got the degree show, uh, which is happening from June the 16th to the 25th. And this will be the first non-COVID restricted degree show since yes. COVID. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Which is exciting. Really exciting. Um, and then in July, I'm doing a residency with Bernstein Bacchaji in Sweden, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, it will be a month away in a barn where I can just paint freely without any distractions. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse, and I look forward to seeing your show at the Slade, and I hope you come back and talk to me in a year from now and tell me what you've been up to. would love to. <laughs> you've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. I am an art critic and artistic director at Maddox Gallery. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by... Korshid Homi. Thank you for listening. <laughs>